0: Okay, let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 47, if you will. We're getting so close to the end of this book. We may finish it before the rapture of the church. I, I, I'm hoping we do, but even if, if, but if we don't, it's okay. That's, that's a good thing. I'd rather have the rapture happen first. And once again, I, 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 I have to probably bronze this this opening statement and just use it every time I teach one of the chapters from the book of Ezekiel but I wanted to finish this whole chapter tonight so tonight's part one next week is part two and uh, because we're so close to the end I want to get there but there there was just so much richness in in uh, this passage We've, we've made it very clear going through the book of Ezekiel that what the prophet saw, what God gave him, was something that was literal, a, a, a literal vision. He gave him a vision of the future, of the millennial, the millennial kingdom, of the messianic kingdom and the messianic temple that Jesus will be in for a thousand years, ruling and reigning on the earth. The enemy of our souls, the enemy who is called the prince of the power of the air, will not have rule during that time. For a thousand years, we're told in the book of Revelation, he's going to be let out for a little bit of time toward uh, the end of that uh, thousand year reign, very little time. But um, the thousand year reign of Christ on the earth is, uh, is going to be a literal happening. And we have to continue to keep that in mind because there is today a literal Israel. And all of prophecy centers upon the nation of Israel. It is not metaphoric. It is not symbolic. So everything that has been given to the prophet, and and we, we saw a lot of signs along the way, the signs that... The measurements, for example, when we got to chapter forty and and all the rest of this last nine, these last nine chapters, there are measurements being taken of the temple. why measure if it 's just symbolic? Why measure if it's just metaphoric? So all the measurements of the temple of the of the uh, courtyards and and of the walls and of the cities and of the measurements of the uh, uh, of the land that is going to be designated for the uh, the tribes of Israel again all of this is for us to know that it is something that is going to literally come to pass at the same time that does not mean that there aren't spiritual lessons from these from the texts and i think that we try to cover each and every one of them as we've gotten to them tonight we're going to we're going to see some of those spiritual uh passages that we can apply to our lives even to this day just from the the, just from the text itself but the text is literal so I just want to keep reminding you of that the text is literal but there are some wonderful uh, lessons that we can learn from these things so now after having been taken through the kitchens of the priests that we saw last time in chapter 46. Uh, we begin verses 1 and 2 with this reading. Afterward, and this again, is the prophet Ezekiel speaking. Afterward he brought me, the, the he here of course is the angelic messenger that God has sent to uh, Ezekiel. Remember that Ezekiel is in captivity but he has now been given a vision. So he's given a vision that he is to respond repeat to the people and he's been telling them this because they're in captivity in Babylon and he's telling them that God continues to uh, love them and restore them and is going to restore them is going to make all of these uh, things come to pass on their behalf they're all going to after seven years they're all going to go back to Jerusalem it isn't going to be then that this is going to happen this is actually much more future for them Nonetheless, he is giving them hope. And this is what God does. He gives us hope. So he says, Afterward he brought me again unto the door of the house. So he brings them to the door of the temple. And behold, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward. For the forefront of the house stood toward the east. And the waters came down from under the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. And then brought he me out of the way of the gate northward. And led me about the way without unto the, uh, and led me about the way without, which means the way outside, unto the utter gate or the outer gate by the way that looketh eastward, and behold, there ran out waters on the right side. Uh, let's stop there for just a moment. One of the major features of the messianic kingdom of Messiah's kingdom will be a new land. Now, we've talked about this before. We've talked about the fact that when Jesus uh, comes to the earth, everything is going to change. Topography and geography, in a sense, will change. Geographical things and topographical things are going to change. What we know from the scriptures is that just before Jesus Christ sets up God's kingdom on earth, the earth will be struck with a number of catastrophic disasters. We know this from the book of Revelation, we know it also from the prophets. The world is going to experience these disasters. There will be earthquakes and volcanic eruptions. Scientists today are talking a lot about certain volcanoes or or certain uh, underlying uh, uh, volcanic activity under the earth. For example, in Yellowstone, uh, up here in, in the United States, in other places in in the Earth, that there seems to be a, uh, a uh, an increase in the in the, uh, uh, the opportunities for these things to to erupt. Uh, volcanoes have erupted in the past. We've seen volcanoes recently in, in, in Hawaii that have uh, that erupted and all. So these things are not these things are not new. So we know that there's going to be earthquakes and volcanic eruptions of unparalleled proportions coming uh, shortly. There is, even today, a great fear of huge meteors falling to the earth, just ask Hollywood. They're always giving us that scare, isn't it? But, but you know, the fact of the matter is scientists today are also investigating these things. They see them now through their telescopes and all, and they, they realize that if certain meteors have Uh, uh, continue on a certain trajectory it's going to hit the earth or at least they think it's going to hit the earth so these are some of the big worries that uh, are happening even in the earth today but when these things begin to happen and let me emphasize begin when these things begin to happen in their prophetic time frame according to scripture and their quote unquote apocalyptic manner because there's going to be a lot different than they were back you know, years ago Uh, the topographical and the geographical features of the earth will change radically Jesus pointed to these things in his Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 verse 7 of course we all know this for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places well seismographic uh, uh, scientists today are, are amazed at how much uh, seismic activity is taking place throughout the whole world. The the, the latest uh, earthquakes have, have registered uh, anywhere from seven on up. Uh, seven points on up. So this is the increase that I'm talking about. The proportions are going to be uh, biblical if if we can if we can say that if you jump down to verse 29 of the same chapter Matthew 24 it says immediately after the tribulation of those days so right at the toward the end of the tribulation period immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken I'd like to spend more time on that but you know this this is just for us to realize that there are going to be certain uh, things happening in the atmosphere they're going to be happening uh, in, in the sky in the in in, in the uh, various atmospheres that we have around the earth stars are going to fall from heaven asteroids have always fallen uh, in in various places even on the earth I'm not going to tell you that uh, uh, Life was created when, when, or, or, the, or I should say, I'm not going to tell you that dinosaurs were became extinct 60 million years ago when an asteroid hit the Earth. I'm, you know, that's what scientists say happened. How they know that I don't know. That's that, that there's no empirical evidence for that to have happened. So, you know, that that just goes against scientific uh, research. But anyway, we know what the Bible says, and certainly these things can happen and have happened. Great catastrophes are mentioned in detail in the book of Revelation, but we don't want to go there right now. But consider, that, if you will, this passage in the book of Joel, Joel chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, where it says, The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. Notice, and the heavens and the earth shall shake. But I want you to notice the time frame and where these things are happening. The Lord shall shall roar out of Zion. Remember, he is the Lion of Judah. (laughs) He shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people. When do you think this is happening? We already mentioned, Jesus already mentioned that after the tribulation these things are going to happen. Or right around the time, of at the end of the tribulation period, these things are going to happen. So shall you know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. That's where the temple is going to be, on God's holy mountain. And then shall Jerusalem be holy, and there shall no strangers pass through her anymore. So these are just a few passages that predict a restructuring of the earth's surface during the great calamity that we know as the tribulation and the great tribulation period and immediately after that seven year period. But the greater restructuring, and this is what this is leading to, the greater restructuring will take place when the Messiah of Israel returns to the earth at his second coming. And who is that? That's Yeshua, that is Jesus. So if you'll turn to Zechariah, we're going to read a, a, a good portion. We're just laying a foundation here for this chapter uh, 47 of Ezekiel. But in Zechariah 14, verses 1 through 4, now I'm going to divide this passage into three sections here in Zechariah. So we will look at the first four verses, if you'll notice. It says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. Now just stop there for just a moment and, and just think about what is happening in the world today outside of all of the problems that President Trump is having in this country and you know, around the world with trades and, uh, and tariffs and, and everything else that's going on. Outside of all of that, right now that's kind of overshadowing something else, but for good reason. We who know the scriptures, we who study the scriptures, we who stay in the scriptures, know otherwise that there is going to be activity happening and always happening about the nation of Israel. In fact, this past week, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister was here in in the States, uh, there in Washington with with the president, which was uh, interesting because he was actually welcomed uh, to the White House. Uh, not as the previous president who didn't want to have give Israel any time or give the prime minister even an invitation to come. It was quite stinky. But anyway, that's just my opinion. That gives us also another indication of where the deep state lies. There's a deeper state that ra- that that kind of oversees that. Well, that's for another time. I want to get to that one of these days. I am going to get to that. Anyway, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. Now, we, we've talked about this before as well. How many times has the United Nations that meets in our, in our country, in New York City, how many times has the United Nations condemned Israel? They've condemned Israel more than any other country in the world. This little state of Israel that is no bigger than the state of New Jersey receives more condemnation from the United Nations than China, than Russia, than Turkey, than Iran. So go figure. Is the scripture reliable? Is the scripture accurate? This is what it's all leading to. I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, the the houses rifled, the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. In other words, there's going to be a remnant, but they're not going to be cut off from the city. They'll be in the city. And then this is what happens, verse 3. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations. As, as strong as I believe the IDF is, the Israeli Defense Forces, they're not going to be in a, a match for the world, but God's going to fight for them. God says, I'm going to go forth. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet, notice. And who is this? It's Messiah. Messiah. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. Is there a Mount of Olives today? Yes. Some of you have been there. You've been there with us. You've stood on the Mount of Olives. Jesus' feet are gonna be on the Mount of Olives. This is not metaphoric. This is literal. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof. Now, this is gonna be different. To cleave is to separate, to, 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 to open wide. And it's going to cleave, it says, in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley. Now there's already a valley there. But it's going to be a greater valley. Things are going to change. The topography is going to change. And it says, and half the, of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. Let's look at the next section, verses five through seven. And you shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azal. Yea, you shall flee like as you fled from before the earth in the days, uh, from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. Uh, that would be the Lord coming with ten thousands of his saints. That would be you and me if you are there with the Lord at the rapture of the church, and then coming seven years later. And it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark, but it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. Everything's changing according to God's plan. For the city of Israel, for the city of Jerusalem and the nation of Israel. Look at verses eight through eleven now. And it shall be in that day that living waters now take note of this, living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea, and half of them toward the hinder sea. In summer and in winter shall it be. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. And we know the name. All the land shall be turned as a plain from Geba to Rimon, south of Jerusalem. All the land shall be turned as a plain. You start heading south from Jerusalem and you're going down mountainous, Hills and valleys, and then you get down to the desert, and then you get to the desert, but there's still hills and valleys all around you. Here it's going to be like a plain. Everything's going to change. And it shall be lifted up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate unto the place of the first gate unto the corner gate, and from the tower of Hanaleel unto the king's winepresses measured from the temple in Jerusalem to give you an understanding of how big this plane is going to be. And then it says that man shall dwell in it and there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. At the return of Messiah, the Lord will change the face of the earth drastically so that it will and, and, and many believe this comes really straight out of scripture it is going to resemble the garden of Eden again as many prophetic scriptures imply now when Jesus returns and gives Israel the promised land because remember they've been promised this land it's all going to look different but it's still the same land So when Jesus returns and gives Israel the promised land, the land itself will be completely different from what it is today. In fact, it'll be much more beautiful, much more fruitful. And and I'll tell you, with Israel being in the land, we know it's been fruitful. That That was a promise that God gave. That was a prophecy that God fulfilled when Israel came back into the land. And even in the last generation, Israel has been a fruitful land because God brought his people back into it. But you think it's fruitful now? Wait till we finish, hopefully get to the finish of our study today. So anyway, keep in mind then that the Lord showed Ezekiel this land in a vision. He has shown him the land in a vision. He is actually describing what Ezekiel is describing. He's describing what the Lord showed him. All he's doing is describing what he has been shown. He also showed the prophet, God also showed the prophet, how how the land will be divided among the 12 tribes. We're gonna get to that next week and the week after that. The Lord will fulfill his great and wonderful promise to Abraham and to all the descendants of faith that will inherit the promised land and it will be a new land. They're gonna want this land more than the land that they see today. They're going to see the land today and say, well, this is the land that God has promised us, but then they're going to see the land that God has truly promised them, which is the land that he's going to give to them, and it is going to be, we'll take this one instead. Yes, this is nicer. This is going to be great. So, this, but that's, isn't that our God? I mean, isn't that the way that our God just loves us and gives us more than what we could ever imagine? And above all that we could ever think, that is the wonder of our God let's go back to the text let's go back to verses one and two just for a moment and so Ezekiel says afterward he brought me again unto the door of the house and behold waters is issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward for the forefront of the house stood toward the east and the waters came down from under the right side of the house at the south side of the altar and then brought he me out of the way of the gate northward and led me about the way without which means outside unto the other gate by the way that uh, by the way that looked eastward and behold there ran out waters on the right side so the most prominent feature then of the new land the most prominent feature of the new land will be this river of life we can call it a river of life because of what we're going to see in the next few verses but it is a river of life. And the angelic messenger brought Ezekiel back to the entrance of the temple. And there the prophet saw the source of the river. He saw the source of the river. And as he stood at the entrance, entrance of the temple, he saw the water trickling out from under the threshold of the temple. The Hebrew word for the word issued there in verse 1. Behold, water issued out from under the threshold. Uh, that Hebrew word for issued suggests that it was a small stream of water. It wasn't a lot of water coming out. It was a small stream of water. It would continue to flow south and southeast. South and southeast from the directions that we see given here. Ezekiel 47 verses 3 through 6. And when the man that had the line in his hand, that being the, mes- the messenger... When the man that had the line in his hand went forth eastward, he measured 1,000 cubits. A 1,000 cubits is about 1,750 feet, 1,750 feet. So he measures 1,000 cubits, and he brought me through the waters. The waters were to the ankles. So it lets you know how high the, the, the water was coming out of the temple. It was to his ankles. And again, he measured the thousand and brought me through the water. So he measured another thousand, brought him through the waters. The waters were now to his knees. And again, he measured a thousand and brought me, again, 1,750 more feet. And he brought me through the waters. The waters were to the loins, which means about to the waist. Afterward, he measured a thousand, another 1,750 1,750 feet. And it was a river that I could not pass over. For the waters were risen, waters to swim in. So the prophet had to swim in the water now. A river that could not be passed over. You just couldn't walk over it. You know, you'd, you'd be under it, under it. And he said unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen this? Have you seen this? And then he brought me and caused me to return to the brink of the river and you'll see where the brink is in a a moment but what Zechariah had recorded for us in chapter 14 verse 8 what he had recorded for us back then was that the water flowing from Jerusalem would divide half of it flowing westward toward the Mediterranean Sea and the other half flowing east to the Dead Sea Ezekiel appears to follow the branch that went eastward. He didn't go to the Mediterranean. He went eastward, southeastward, in other words. And what I find to be quite amazing is that this river started with, or will start, because it's future, but this river will start out as a trickle. It will start out as a very small stream coming out of the temple. That's, that's the picture being given to us by the prophet after 1750 feet after 1750 feet the water is ankle deep so you go a thousand cubits and, and you're, you know you you're just your ankles are being nice and cool cooled as he moves out farther another 1750 feet the water would come up to his knees Going out farther still, another 1,750 feet, that water made it up to his waist. Finally, and by the way, the word in the King James is loins. Keep that in mind in just a moment when I make another observation. But finally, another 1,750 feet, and the water was now over his head. Now here is what is amazing about this prophecy. This is what is amazing about this river. The river gets deeper and deeper without the help of any tributaries flowing into it. It's just the water that comes from the temple. It starts as a trickle. It increases, and it increases, and it increases from one source. Not from other sources coming into it. There are no tributaries being spoken of here. This could only mean that what will happen is a supernatural work that the Lord himself will do. How often have we in the last, let's say, couple of years, talked about how supernatural God is in the things that he does. We have a supernatural God. He is an awesome God. And remember that I tell you all the time, I don't don't like to use the word awesome for anything that people do. Only what God does. Because he is an awesome God. So this is a supernatural work of the Lord. My question to you tonight is, is there any significance for us as believers in Jesus Christ today? Is there any significance about this river for us tonight? As I mentioned earlier, you know we, we, uh, we have to understand that this is going to be a literal land, a literal river that comes forth from a literal temple on the mount that is now made very large by Jesus himself. And out of this temple comes this little trickle of water that grows into a gushing river without any help from any place else what is that significance for us I'd like for you to consider something here the spiritual point that we may hopefully take from this turn if you will to the words of Jesus in John chapter 7 John chapter 7 verses 37 through 39 In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, Now take note, this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So if this river that we've just seen described in Ezekiel, if this river is a type and representation of the Holy Spirit, then consider that the river begins, where where does it begin? It begins actually from the altar and it flows outward from the altar of the temple. That is where the sacrifices are to be offered. Now just stay with me here for a minute. Significantly, each of us Each of us must first appropriate the finished work of Jesus Christ into our lives. And that is done at the cross. That is what all of these sacrifices represent. Down through the ages, it was all a type, it was all a picture and an illustration of what Messiah would eventually come to this earth to do. To be the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. To be the Lamb of God who would be offered as the sacrifice on the altar of the cross. We have to appropriate that finished work of Christ in our lives. And that's done at the cross. The river of the Holy Spirit brings us to Jesus Christ. It is the river of the Holy Spirit that brings us to Christ. I think of the words in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, the words of Paul when he says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. We don't save ourselves. We're not that intellectually and and, and spiritually uh, uh, attuned and wise enough to save ourselves. We can't save ourselves because we were born in sin. And no one on this earth can save us except for one that came 2,000 years ago to do that work for us. By grace are you saved through faith. Consider if you will what he tells the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 12 verse three because this gives us some indication then of how the Holy Spirit brings us to this understanding of being saved by grace through faith. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3 says, Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. And, here's the part you need to read, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. We can't say that Jesus is the Lord except by the Holy Ghost, except by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So to say that Jesus is Lord, to confess him as our Lord, to confess him as our Savior, comes from the work of the Holy Spirit in bringing us to salvation through grace or by grace through faith. Consider another characteristic, if you will, for just a moment. A river, going back to the river, A river that is not fed by other tributaries that continues to grow and becomes deeper and broader the farther that it flows from its source? We call that a miracle? We call that a supernatural work of God? Is this not the truth? Or is this not true, I should say, of the river of God's grace? Is this not true of the river of God's grace in our lives? Consider how small the apparent beginnings on Pentecost were. The day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon the 120 in that upper room in Jerusalem. Consider how small the apparent beginnings on Pentecost were when the glory of the Lord filled all the place where the disciples were waiting and almost immediately, almost immediately the testimony of the risen Christ began. And the river has been flowing on and growing mightily, encompassing now the whole world. It began with that little seed of 120. And the Spirit came upon the 120, the cloven tongues of fire upon their heads. All of them speaking in other tongues, Praising and honoring and, and glorifying God and Christ. Being recognized by those outside of the room thinking that they were having some kind of a party at 9 o'clock in the morning and drinking too much wine. And yet they heard the words. And they were amazed in their own languages. That these 120 were giving praise and honor and glory to God started so small. And yet not long after that, almost immediately, 3,000 souls were added to the church. And not long after that, 5,000 souls were added to the church. It started with a trickle. And where is it today? It's an overflowing river. encompasses the world. And by the way, the beginnings were just ankle deep. The beginnings were just ankle deep. What do you do when you can walk ankle deep in the water? Well, I just said it. You walk. The prophet was still walking, wasn't he? Still walking, ankle deep, going deeper and deeper along the river, inside the river. Galatians 5.16 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Folks if we're walking in the Spirit, you know what, we're going to stay in the river. No matter how old or young we are in the Lord, we stay in the river and we walk because the Lord continues to bless and, and the river continues to rise, but you're still walking. Think of Ephesians 4 verses one through three, I therefore the, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, walking in a manner that is worthy of the calling of a believer in Jesus Christ. With lowliness and meekness, that's humility. With long-suffering, with patience, enduring patience. Through Through the tough times, through the struggles of life, through the afflictions and the pains and the anguish that we talked about on Sunday morning. Forbearing one another in love. I don't think we do that enough in the church today, to forbear one another in love. We have too many opinions of our own and we don't forbear. We don't put aside our opinions to love someone either back into the kingdom or to love someone into the kingdom or to love someone who's hurting, whether we like them or not. It's not about us anymore. We're supposed to be dead and our life is hidden with Christ and God. And endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's what makes us different than the world. We walk in the Spirit and in a manner worthy of the calling wherewith God has called us. By the way, now we're up to our knees in this river. Because the more we walk with the Lord, the higher the river gets. You can still walk with your knees in there. You can still walk through the water. That's like going to Oscarity. I think, I think it comes up to your knees, right? Or maybe it's a little higher than that. Now we won't worry about it right now. Maybe the next part of this study. We're walking, and the water's up to our knees. Assuredly, there's some significance in this. Because this may very well represent our prayer life. You know, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the army of the Lord, marches on its knees. We need to be men and women of prayer. We need to be prayer warriors. The key is not our will. Here's the key. The key is not our will, but his sovereign rule in our lives. God's sovereign rule in our lives. I think of the words of Jesus in John 14, verses 12 through 14. Remember, he's going to the cross. I mean, we're not that far removed from chapter 14 in our studies on Sunday morning. So you might remember this when Jesus said in verse 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, notice, whatsoever you shall ask in my name, contextually, be de- de- dealing with the context of what Jesus is saying, he says, That will I do. It's not about asking the Lord whatever we want, it's about asking what is it that he wants. Whatever you ask in my name and in my authority, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Anything that pertains to us being his servants. Anything that pertains to us in being those who will love one another as Christ has loved us. Anything pertaining to the preparation of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives so that we can share that love to others. Whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. John would later write in his letter to the, to the church in 1 John 5 verses 14 and 15, same concept. He never lost it, he learned it from Jesus. And this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, not according to your will or mine, Anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. But asking according to his will, not ours. And that's the one point that I want to make here tonight, is that as we see the day of Christ approaching, what are we praying for? From the standpoint of what we are to be in Christ until the day of Christ, until he comes again. Let's continue to ask according to his will. Lord, what is it that you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to do it? I know you want me to do it according to your words, so Lord, give me the wisdom and strength and understanding so that I might do these things. But it's asking according to his will and not our own. Going deeper now into the river, the waters are now at our loins, or our waist. A little harder to walk that way, physically, in water, but still doable. Now we're at a level, I think. (laughs) But what this may represent is a picture and a type of spiritual reproduction. The loins, that area where God has made very sacred for those to reproduce according to his will and purpose. I want you to consider two passages. Luke 24, verse 49, where Jesus is preparing his disciples to wait for the promise of the Father. He says, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, which is, of course, the Holy Spirit. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem, wait in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. So they're saying, okay, we're going to wait. Did they have any idea? Did they have any clue what Jesus was preparing them for? Consider Acts 1, verse 8. We'll just kind of jump over to Acts 1, verse 8. Because these are the words of Jesus to his disciples. Now, the resurrected Christ, who is, is shortly going to be ascending into heaven, they're going to see him ascend into heaven and disappear out of sight. But he tells them, now that, they're going to, uh, now that he's going to uh, uh, ascend, into heaven, he he tells them what this promise is for. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. That power is to be witnesses for Christ to an unbelieving world that is filled with incredible darkness with incredible wickedness, with incredible evil. But we are to be the witnesses of Christ. We are to be the light of the world, and we are to be the light to the world. How did we get out of the world ourselves if it wasn't with the light of the glory of Christ being shown upon our hearts, revealing who we were, revealing what we'd done, revealing the fact that we were sinners, and revealing the fact that we needed salvation and we needed to know who the Savior was. And praise God for the courage that God gave to those witnesses, those people who witnessed the love of Christ to each and every one of us. That we ourselves could be in Christ, in love with the Lord, in love with one another, and filled with the Holy Spirit to do the exact same thing that others have done for us we are the light of the world and to the world but before long as we're doing this now as we're, as we're just letting the Lord work his, his work in us and his life in us and, and all before long you're so deep that the water's over your head but is that a good thing or a bad thing with the Holy Spirit no it's a good thing It's a good thing to be immersed, to be overwhelmed by by, by the very presence of the Holy Spirit. Overwhelmed in a good way. You are submerged and saturated so fully in the Holy Spirit that you are not only a vessel that contains the Spirit of God, but you are now a vessel from which the Lord can flow from you. What did Jesus say? Out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. Don't look around. Look at yourself. He's talking to you, Christian. You're a vessel from which the Lord can flow from you and through you in touching the lives of others. Torrents of living water will flow from your life. As a believer, you have the Holy Spirit Uh, that's, that's a given now now that we know what the word of God says you can't say that Jesus is the Lord without the Holy Spirit you've been filled with the Holy Spirit you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit so that you might be the witnesses of God to this dark world but the question that we need to ask is does the Holy Spirit have me I have the Holy Spirit. People boast of it. Oh, I'm filled with the Spirit. Yeah, but does the Spirit have you? Does the Spirit have you? Are you dry and parched? You know, it's amazing how many Christians have to admit that inside of them, they're just dry. Part of that problem has to do with how committed they are to the Lord on a daily basis, how committed they are in prayer, how committed they are in witness, how committed they are in just surrendering themselves each and every day to the love of of Christ and to the work of Christ. And oftentimes we put on the masks. On the outside we use the language, but inside we we're, we're dry. Thirsty. And I'm thinking, why? Why are you thirsty if God has given us his word and his spirit? Do you know that that the scripture tells us that his word and his spirit are water to us? The water of regeneration, the waters of life that flow freely from us. It's ours because he gave it to us. So we're, we're not dry because Somebody hasn't fed us or hasn't watered us by teaching the Word of God to us. We're dry because we've put aside the Word of God or we've put aside the things of God. And it's painful to see in this day and age because... I mean, we're waiting to see the Lord Jesus Christ come. I I would think that that would be exciting for us to be every day waiting for the Lord by living our life right, dying to ourselves and living in Christ. By, by, By living the way Paul said of himself when he said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet... Not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. Dying to self. Sometimes the world pops up its head, and we, we kind of like look in the direction of the world and we say, Well, that's exciting. Uh, over here, I'm just praying and singing. <laughs> I think the perspective of our hearts has to change. And I think that this issue of Christ being around the corner should change. A lot of people go to churches, there are some churches that are filled tonight. I would hope they are filled because they, they love the Word of God unfortunately in some cases they they're filled because they're being given some entertainment of some sort or they're given given something you know that uh, you know that it's not, not too heavy for them to worry about i, I can't do anything but t- teach you the word of god as as the lord gives it to my heart to say listen we need to get ready jesus can come at any moment he can come tonight are we going to be ready Does the Holy Spirit have me? Are things not flowing in your spiritual life? I think it's time that we open up and let the Spirit of God have us. It's time to let the Spirit of God have us. Ask him to empower you for service. Ask him to mold you and to shape you into the person that he wants you to be. Not Because I tell you, but because it's his word. It's his word, and and I'm just the one that God has given to encourage you. Well, if we're gonna finish at least this section, I need to move on here, so, because we only have a few minutes. So let's get back to Ezekiel 47. But that, that was something I think the Lord just, you know, by looking at this particular passage from the spiritual side of things, uh, you know, the application of some, something like this is, is to encourage your hearts to really look at the, the, the effect of the Holy Spirit on our lives as believers and to realize that it began with a trickle and, and, and is now uh, flowing like li- just torrents of, of living water. Let's go back to verse 7 now and let's close out this passage. Ezekiel says, now when I had returned, behold, at the bank of the river were very many trees on the one side and on the other. Now, understand, he's going down that river, all of these lengths of of cubits, all the way down actually to where there is a bank. Notice that it says, Then said he unto me, These waters issue out toward the east country and go down into the desert and go into the sea. What sea is in the desert? The Dead Sea. And go into the sea, which being brought forth into the sea, the waters shall be healed. And it shall come to pass that everything that liveth, which moveth, whithersoever the rivers shall come, shall live, and there shall be a very great multitude of fish, because these waters shall come thither, for they shall be healed, and everything shall live whither the river cometh. Wherever the river goes, everything's going to be healed. Everything's going to be alive. And it shall come to pass that the fishers shall stand upon it from Engedi even unto. En- And by the way, in Gedi, if you've been to In Gedi, and most of us have gone to Israel, have. Man, that's desert right now. And it's right there close by the Dead Sea where there's nothing but salt in that sea. 30% plus of salt. Nothing lives in it. Got it? Okay, got to go on. They shall be a place to spread forth nets. Can you imagine people fishing on the Dead Sea? They can't call it Dead Sea anymore. It's very much alive, or will be. Their fish shall be according to their kinds, as the fish of the great sea, exceeding many, as many fish as even the oceans may have. But the miry places thereof and the marshes thereof shall not be healed. They shall be given to salt. So the marshes and the swamps that, by the way, exist over there right now, they shall be left for the purpose of having salt. Salt is always very important. Salt's important to our bodies today. Too much salt, of course, is not good, but there's a proper level for salt. Okay, with all that in mind, I have to kind of move on here. So, and by the river upon the bank thereof, on this side and on that side, shall grow all trees for meat, which is grain whose leaf shall not fade, neither shall the fruit thereof be consumed. It shall bring forth new fruit according to his months, because their waters uh, they issued out of the sanctuary, and the fruit thereof shall be for food or meat or grain, and the leaf thereof for medicine. At last, the land promised by God would have enough water to cause all life and activity to flourish. The land itself would be transformed by the river of life, That's what we called it at the beginning, a river of life coming forth from the altar of God. It will nourish a great number of trees, bring life to the barren desert land of the Arabah, the plain of Jordan, and even heal the salty water of the Dead Sea, that sea which for four millennia, 4,000 years, has become more and more salty as time goes by, and yet receiving millions of gallons of fresh water from the Jordan. That's water, in a sense, wasted, right? Going into the Dead Sea because there's, it, it brings certain minerals into the Dead Sea and then they, they, they don't have anywhere else to go. Because there is no outlet, its brininess has increased rather than diminished so that no life can exist in it. But as Ezekiel looked, he saw that when the waters of this river poured into the sea, they brought life and healing. Folks, that is going to be the very aspect of the the millennial kingdom. There's going to be life and there's going to be healing. A multitude of living things swarmed into the sea and great schools of fish were seen where before there had been only death and desolation and all because these these waters are come hither. These waters have come here. The waters from the altar of God have come to the Dead Sea and they 're going to have to name it something else. it won't be called dead anymore. The prophet was given a description of ten effects of the river's life-giving waters. I'm going to do this very quickly, but you can read them. Uh, in verse nine, animals would multiply, fish would abound in the Dead Sea, and everything will live. In verse 10, fishermen will spread their nets in every seaside community stretching from En-Gedi to Eneglaim. Fish of every kind will flourish and be caught. That's uh, verse 10, as I said. And then verse 11, swamps and marshes will be left untouched in order to provide salt for people. And then verse 12, fruit trees of all kinds will grow abundantly. Leaves of the trees will never wither. Trees will bear fruit every month, and trees will produce fruit for food and leaves for healing. The healing properties of the trees of the millennium will bring complete Healing, not like the leaves that have some medicinal value today, some, some bushes, branches, trees, uh, shrubs, whatever, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of things that grow, people use them for medicine today, and, and they work a little bit, but it, it won't be like these. These will bring complete healing to those who will use them. This will actually continue beyond the millennium when the Lord God creates new heavens and a new earth. In Revelation 22, listen what it says in verses 1 and 2. And he showed me a pure river of water of life. A pure river of water of life. Clear as crystal. Proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life which bear 12, manners of, 12 manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So there's going to be healing for the people who live in the millennial kingdom. And when we get to God's kingdom in the new heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem, there will be healing for the nations. And I can tell you this, and you know this, You look around today at every nation and there's a need for healing everywhere. The nations need healing, but it won't come because man says, let's have peace now, peace. Yeah, what did did Paul say? When you hear people say peace and safety, then what comes? Sudden destruction. So man's attempt at peace will always fail. But the Prince of Peace will bring true peace to the land. So three things of importance as we close. First of all, let us not be like the Dead Sea. Let us not be like the Dead Sea that takes in water containing many miracles but with no outlet becomes stagnant and dead. We cannot be like those who are just sponges. We have to be squeezed out. With what we receive from the Lord, we need to squeeze out into our ministries. Witness and service. Witness and service from the water of the word of God. Secondly, the river of life is a reminder that God is the source of abundant and eternal life. There is no life apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. When it comes right down to it, there is no life apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the way, gives life, quenches our thirst for life, and he completes our life. That is a tremendous work that Jesus has done. He gives life, he quenches our thirst for life, and he completes our life. And thirdly, the river began as a trickle flowing from the presence of God himself and became a great river with life-giving healing qualities. That is more than just a picture of of the Spirit of God. It is also a clear picture of the blood of Jesus Christ. It is a clear picture of the blood of Christ which began as a trickle of blood that flowed from the cross to the whole world. So let me close by reading to you Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved now look at verse 7 in whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace Let's keep walking in the river of life. Jesus is that river. Jesus is the tree of life. Let's keep eating from the fruit of the tree of life. Uh, Jesus, because Jesus has made himself available to us. And let's continue to walk in the spirit of life. Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh.